Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. I am your host, Ryan Brown. Today, I am joined by Jonathan Sullivan. Jonathan, how we doing? Doing well this evening, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing well this late afternoon in the central time zone, the greatest time zone uh, there is. And we are here to talk some Final Four. The Final Four is almost upon us. March Madness is almost coming to a close. And what an insane college basketball tournament it has been. We are left with all the madness that happened. We had a 15 seed in St. Peter's taking down a two seed in Kentucky, a three seed in Purdue, seven seed in Murray State that was ranked for a good chunk of the season. They fell just short losing to North Carolina, but like to have a 15 seed make history, all the upsets and the madness that we saw, it, it's been a wild tournament. And yet, despite all of that, we are left with a bunch of blue-blooded, mostly top seeds for our final four. We've got a pair of matchups to preview. First up, we'll talk Kansas and Villanova, and then we'll get into Duke, North Carolina, which I will attempt and fail miserably at being unbiased for. Uh, but let's start with the one where we shouldn't have to worry about bias too much, and that is Kansas and Villanova. So let's let's recap real quick, set the table for each team's road to the Final Four. Kansas, they're the only one seed that was able to make it here to the Final Four. To do so, they beat Texas Southern in a 1-16 game. They beat nine-seeded Creighton. They took out uh, some, some of our favorite Providence Friar fans. In, they took out the four-seeded Friars in the Sweet 16. Thankfully. Thankfully. And they got 10-seeded Miami in the Elite Eight, and they, with a second-half surge, were able to take out the Hurricanes pretty easily. Villanova, meanwhile, they were a two-seed in their region. They beat 15-seeded Delaware, seven-seeded Ohio State, they got a sweet 16 matchup against 11 seeded Michigan. And then they beat fifth seeded Houston in the elite eight. So Jonathan, real quick, anything that stood out to you from either team on en route to their final four spot? Um, just that Kansas, I mean, they, they just play good. They play both of these teams. It seems like plays like very good defense like really these aren't you know i mean kansas can can score well but villanova it seems like they're just playing defense like all their games are a bit more on like the lower end of like scoring you know kansas held providence down to whatever it was 17 points in the first half of their game and villanova just hammered the under in that game against houston (laughs) on the final um so you see you know it's the old thing like defense travels you know, defense travels and, you know, when the, the stage gets brightest and stuff and you get nervous on shots, you know, there's a lot less thinking and just more like doing and muscle memory when it comes to defense. So I think it's, it really showed in these two teams that, um, that even when the shots aren't falling, you know, considering can, because they defend well, um, they're able to pull out games in variety of ways. 
Yeah, I definitely think that could be said for sure of Kansas. They've there's top guys have been kind of hit or miss in spots. I know Remy Martin has really picked his game up here in the tournament, but Ogbaji has has struggled at times. Christian Braun has kind of faded into the background and become more of a secondary option for sure at times. But never and David McCormick, their big, really hasn't done a heck of a lot in this tournament run, uh, even getting outplayed by other teams' bigs at times. Uh, but nonetheless, they get enough from what they do have. Somebody usually steps up for them. For the most part, it has been Remy Martin on the offensive end. And I, I think we haven't even seen Kansas really even hit their full stride, which is crazy to say that a team that's in the final four hasn't even shown the best version of itself. So Jonathan, give me something to watch for in this matchup between the Jayhawks and the Wildcats, be it a player, some sort of aspect of the game, et cetera. Well, I think this is going to come down to two players um, of the guard position. And I don't, I don't know if you're going to touch on Villanova's injury, but I think that's a big loss for them. You can, um, just, I don't really know a ton about the player. Um, I just know that, you know, in the tournament, the NCAA tournament, you basically go seven men is like saying a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, you play your your starting five or like with a six man, basically like the entire game during the tournament. Mm-hmm. So just like a loss like that is is huge for Villanova. Um, but it's going to come down to the the upperclassmen. And the way, and I don't even mean Abaji here. I mean, Remy Martin, who has been probably Kansas's best player during the tournament. And Colin Gillespie, who is probably Villanova's best player. These are both uh, fifth-year guys, I believe. Um, Martin, a transfer from Arizona State, and Gillespie's playing on the COVID year, uh, mm-hmm. extra year. So they certainly don't lack um, experience. So we'll, we'll just see... Uh, see what happens, but I think it's going to come down to, you know, which one of these seniors or super seniors, if you want to call them, um, doesn't shy away from the stage uh, when it's its brightest. I definitely think that'll be a factor for me. I think that the, the big thing to watch here is the three point shooting specifically for Villanova. They, they come in 27th in the country in three pointers made and 66th in three point percentage. And they're going up against a Kansas team with a perimeter defense that is holding opponents to below 30% from three, 29.6 to be uh, precise. And that is top 20 in the nation. So whatever, whichever side wins that battle probably will have a big say into who ends up coming out on top and playing for a national title come Monday. Uh, because Villanova takes a lot of threes and they make a good amount of them. But Kansas locks down on the perimeter and forces teams to have to, to attack them in the paint and shoot inside the arc. So if Villanova can overcome that and just break down the Kansas defense entirely, then perhaps the Wildcats will have a chance without Justin Moore, who was averaging nearly 15 points a game for Villanova is now lost for the season with a torn Achilles. If not, if there, if Villanova does not have a perimeter, good shooting game from the perimeter from three, 
it's going to be really tough for the Wildcats to hang with Kansas unless Kansas has another off night shooting the ball. And honestly, I don't foresee that. So I think it's going to be critical for Nova to overcome the KU perimeter defense. Uh, looking outside at the matchup a little bit more, Jonathan, give me like a key factor. I know that's, we just talked about something to watch for in particular, but what, what do you think it ultimately will come down to in this game? What, who, or what is the key factor for each team in this matchup to win in advance? Well, I I had said earlier that I I think it's Colin Gillespie and Remy Martin um, for each team, but I'll just say Abaji for Kansas. I think he's a, he's kind of had like a sleepy tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from what I've talked to, like guys that fall calls basketball a bit more than I like little Mike, um, you know, hyping this guy up. Like uh, he's like, I don't know if he's like a, in the contention for the wooden award or mm-hmm. not this year, but I mean, if he can have like his breakout game, like his, I have arrived here, um, type of game, um, because he's just that talented. I think he's probably more talented on than anyone you know, at his ceiling than on Villanova. And mm-hmm. he, along with Martin and McCormick, as you had mentioned before, I just think Kansas, if they play to your ceiling, like you said, I, I see a hard time uh, for Villanova to be able to beat them. Mm-hmm. And I think if Kansas's talent shows up, that would be my big factor. Like they just can't shy away from the moment. Um, what, how they played in the second half against Miami, that team, if they can come out like that, they'll roll. Yeah, 100% agree. For Kansas, I think they've got to tighten things up inside the arc. They seem to have things down on lock on the three-point on the perimeter, but they are allowing opponents to shoot 56.3% on shots inside the arc in their six losses. And a lot of that is because they're allowing guards to just drive and penetrate and attack the rim at will. And they haven't been able to stop that. They haven't have enough. They're they're focused on closing out on shooters, and they're not keeping them out of the paint and letting them drive and kick and whatnot. So I think if Kansas wants to assure that they are going to play for a national title, they need to tighten things up a little bit defensively on the inside, as well as maintain that lockdown perimeter defense for Villanova it's kind of like you said, kind of rehashing your earlier points. I'm going to do the same in a way. Villanova has to win that three point battle. They are 20 and 0 this season when they make seven or more threes and hold their opponents to under 37 and a half percent from three. So if they are able to, like I said, if they're able to take and make a lot of threes and their Kansas can't keep up, then Villanova's definitely got a shot in this one, but if they don't, if they don't do that, they're going to be in a tough spot. And the one thing that Villanova, I will say that they do have going for them, they played a hell of a non-conference schedule. They played some really tough matchups. They played the likes of uh, Purdue and Tennessee in back-to-back days. They played Baylor. Um, they've they, they played, I believe, was it UConn? Uh, well, that's Big East game, but they, I mean, they've played, they've played some really tough out of conference games to go along with a, what was a pretty difficult Big East slate. So 
I, I think this Villanova team is battle tested, but at the end of the day, if they don't have the perimeter shooting, uh, I don't think they're going to be able to have enough firepower to to keep with Kansas. So, Jonathan, who do you got, Kansas or Nova in this one? Well, Ryan, I I think judging by your tone and my tone coming into this game, I I have a funny feeling that uh, we might have a similar pick, but I'm I'm going with Kansas uh, in this one. I just think. As I mentioned, their talent's just too much. The loss of more for Villanova is too much. Combine it all together. And uh, I got Kansas pulling this one out and getting to the title game. Um, their first in a while, I think, since maybe they, they beat Kentucky or they lost Kentucky. I can't remember. They beat Memphis. I, I think they lost Kentucky mm-hmm. um, back in 2011. Um, so I, I believe that was their last time in the title game. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, no, I think you're right. And you are also right in that I am joining you in picking Kansas. Just too much firepower for Kansas, and I don't even think they've played to their a bit to their utmost ability. Take into account that Villanova is going to be shorthanded. They're going to be asking guys that didn't really do much of anything uh, during the course of the season to step up and provide them crucial minutes at times. And that, I think that's just too much for Jay Wright to cook up some sort of masterclass uh, game plan and get his team back to another championship game. So yeah, I, I, and, I like Kansas. And, and I honestly think that the loss of more obviously is a big deal for Villanova, but it's really just the cherry on top. I think even if Villanova was 100% healthy, I'd still be taking Kansas uh, pretty confidently in this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would be hard pressed to pick against Kansas, even with a fully healthy Nova. So with you there. Now let's move on to the nightcap of the final four. And that is what could be described as the most historic final four game of all time. Duke, North Carolina meeting in the NCAA tournament in March Madness for the first time ever. It's Coach K's final season. He gets back to the Final Four for a 13th time. And what does he get as a reward? He gets a rubber match, a trilogy showdown this season with Hubert Davis's North Carolina Tar Heels. So quick recap of how each of those teams got here. Duke was also a two-seed. In their region, they defeated Cal State Fullerton, the 15. They beat a solid seven-seeded Michigan State team. And then in the Sweet 16, they beat Texas Tech, who was the three. And then in the Elite Eight, they defeated fourth-seeded Arkansas. North Carolina, meanwhile, they were the eight-seed in their region. Uh, A little bit under-seeded for sure, but given their resume, it was tough to argue They beat Marquette handily in the 8-9 game before upsetting top-seeded Baylor in overtime. They almost blew a a, that one in which they led by more than 25 at one point before Brady Manick got ejected and Baylor came screaming back but failed in overtime. North Carolina then beat UCLA, who was the four-seed in their region, before taking out Cinderella in 15th seeded St. Peter's in the elite eight. So Jonathan, give me, give me any quick thoughts you have on the road 
to the final four for Duke and or North Carolina? Well, I think you see here with Duke and UNC meeting in the final four, obviously it's a big deal. But as you mentioned, UNC being an eight seed, I think that while they struggled at the beginning of the year with their non-conference schedule against some uh, bigger opponents, I think you see with them, Duke's road, even Miami, you know, making a run, it seems as though the committee and the polls during this season, um, you know, they didn't take the ACC as seriously as maybe they should have. You know, you at times, I think there was only like, at times Duke was maybe like the only ACC team even ranked in the, in the polls. Yes. Um, which is like unheard of, like for normally you have at least a few teams. Um, and I just think that the committee um, and the polls throughout the course of the season you know, valued some other conferences like the big and the SEC um, a little bit more when they should have put more stock in, you know, the ACC because top to down, top to bottom competition, it was, you know, it was all right. I mean, Notre Dame even made a little run from the playing game. They beat like an Alabama team that I, I think was way overseeded and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just the ACC was disrespected this year and then they're proving that, you know, there's the argument to be made that the ACC is, you know, the, you know, the cream of the crop for basketball when it comes to, you know, its schools. And I feel like that narrative has kind of fallen off a little bit. But with two of the teams in the Final Four this year, it seems like they're uh, they're reminding everyone that don't sleep on the ACC when it comes to their basketball talent. Yeah, I dropped that tidbit on Little Mike the last time we talked college basketball that the ACC did not have a ranked team besides Duke pretty much from the third week of the season all the way until the conference tournament uh, when I think North Carolina finally jumped back into the polls. So a lot of disrespect was thrown the ACC's way, and they have certainly taken that offense to that as they were the only conference that sent multiple teams uh, to the Elite Eight. They had three teams partake in the Elite Eight, Two of them have advanced. They're both playing each other here, and it's going to be one hell of a game. So, Jonathan, give me something to watch for in this matchup of historic proportions. Well, Ryan, I mentioned in the last game about how, you know, defense is has been key for those teams. They're, they're playing slugfests, slow half court offense, work the shot clock, work, run your plays, et cetera, et cetera. For UNC, it seems like just the opposite. It seems like they just want to get out, run, shoot. I mean, they're just literally trying to simply, and I know this is the the main point of basketball, but like outscore their opponents and really just run them out of the gym. Yep. And they, they did it against Marquette. Um, they almost did it. They did it against Baylor up until Brady uh, Manic got ejected. You know, they had a little bit of a struggle more against UCLA, but then they did it again against St. Peter's. So UNC is for sure a front running team. If they get up on you, they'll go for the jugular. Um, so for Duke's in Duke's case, um, I think they just got to keep it close. If they can keep it close and hang in, or even get out to a brief lead. Um, I think I think that is how they could win. But even when UNC played Duke um, a couple weeks ago, I think they got off to a decent lead. You know, and they just kind of just kept coasting. I mean, this 
this is a team that just scores at will. I mean, when they're some of their shooters like Love and Manic get going, I mean, they are just they're dead eyes. Yeah, Duke in North Carolina in that regular season finale matchup. Duke was, I believe, trailing by four or leading by four. I forget which it was exactly, but North Carolina turned it on in the second half, and Duke just never recovered. Every time they got it down to like six or seven, North Carolina would push it back to 11 or 12, and and Duke just never recovered in that second half. And it seemed like a little bit of deja vu in that ACC tournament championship game for the blue devils against Virginia tech, where they just really came out and they were okay, but then they just fell apart and they just never really got things going against the Hokies. And so I had for sure my doubts about whether this team could handle the pressure of get it, making a postseason run in coach K's final season and showing up in impact moments. But so far in this NCAA tournament, they've proven me wrong. They, mm. they've, they held serve and came back from two scores down to, uh, or a couple buckets down rather to beat Michigan state in the last five minutes. And then they, when they needed to pull away from Texas tech and Arkansas in the second half, they, were able to do so and they used really clutch shooting and offensive playmaking from the likes of Paulo Banchero and AJ Griffin and Wendell Moore and to see that those guys stepping up in key moments whereas they weren't necessarily a couple weeks ago uh, it's been really encouraging for me what I'm watching for in this game is points off turnovers for both teams because both teams rank outside the top 300 in division one and forcing turnovers. So a lot of the turnovers that you're likely to see in this game are going to be self-inflicted, just errant passes, just dribbling, uh, not so much just uh, the defenders getting in into passing lanes and stealing the ball and tips, stuff like that. But it's, it's going to be sort of just like your travels, your offensive charges and stuff like that, where it's more so the offense just making the mistake more so than the defense causing the turnover. Um, so I think what you're going to want to keep an eye on is if either team can really lock in defensively and force their own turnovers on top of any self-inflicted ones, because not only if, if they can do that, if, if, if either team can do that, then they should be able to get in transition and capitalize on them. You talked about how North Carolina loves to, to just get the ball and go and, and huck up a ton of shots. Duke's, Duke's not too much different in the sense that both of these teams are highly efficient on the offensive end. They just aren't efficient at forcing turnovers. So once they get the ball, once they get the rebound, they're looking to push and get going, especially North Carolina, before the other teams can set up their defense. So I think turnovers and specifically points off turnovers is going to be something to watch for in this matchup. I think it could prove pivotal. Now, that being said, I don't think it's the biggest factor. So Jonathan, give me what you think will be the key factor for Duke and the key factor for North Carolina in this matchup. So for Duke, um, I'm a big experience guy. 
So for Duke, I need to see that the moment isn't too big for someone like Banchero, like mm-hmm. a freshman. Yep. I know that in the past you do have these freshman teams, like like the Duke team led with like Winslow and Okafor um, and stuff that that can break through and win it, like as a freshman led team. But I really, it's it's rare. In my opinion, it's rare. You see like the UConn teams led by upperclassmen, the Villanova teams led by like upperclassmen, even the Baylor team last year, there wasn't like, you know, some super freshman on those teams. Um, And I don't know if you can win a title when your clear best player is, uh, is a one and done guy, you know, Mm -hmm. unless he's just unbelievable. Um, and so my question is for him is if, is if the moment is not too big. I mean, they're playing – it's in the Superdome, right? Yep, New Orleans, I mean, the Caesar Superdome. That is a humongous building. I mean, I know Cameron Indoor is a toxic environment, and, and <laughs> he's played in, in arenas that are toxic <laughs> before. But, man, playing in an NFL stadium, like that is just – you can't get much bigger than that. So my the big question for Duke is if – the moment isn't too big for their young guys. Um, and then my big thing for North Carolina is that is how well they shoot the three because I've been watching them when they're shooting the three, like they played against Marquette or against Baylor um, in like the first half with love and, and manic, you know, these are older guys, love's a sophomore, but manic's a senior. If these guys are knocking down their threes at will and UNC is able to put up like, you know, into the eighties, like they did the last time they played Duke, they put up 92, they put up 93 against Marquette. Um, if they can just put, get into the eighties, cause they're shooting, you know, 45% from three. I think that's, that's how they win it. They got to shoot. They got to shoot over 40% from three as a team. I think if they want to win. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to do that, I think, the key factor is, is specifically Caleb love. He has to remain in fuego. He has been super hot this tournament. He looked spectacular in the sweet 16 against UCLA carried that over into the St. Peter's game as well. And this team feeds off of him big time. The team, the, the Tar Heels are 23 and three this season when he scores double figures, 10 plus points. They're one in four when he is held to single digits. You have to believe that Coach K may or may not be aware of this. Somebody on the coaching staff for Duke probably is aware of this. And regardless of it, they're going to make sure that Caleb Love is the key cog in the game plan to try and limit. And so if the Tar Heels can get Love going early and often and consistently throughout the game, or even in just prolonged stretches, the Tarios are going to be in a good spot. But if he's not clicking, if Duke is able to contain him and Love has a, a poor performance or even mediocre performance, it's, it's going to be tough for North Carolina to hang with the talent of Duke. That being said, I do like, I, I do agree with your Duke point. This is easily, each, with each game, it's the biggest stage that any of these Duke players pretty much have played on. For the freshmen, it could get too big for them. Coach K's final season, and every game could be his last. 
final four. You're playing your bitter rival. They curb stomped you at home in your seat in coach K's final home game. There is so much that is on the line, riding on the line here and so much pressure on these guys that honestly, if they caved it, it, it wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world. But that being said, I think what the key factor is for Duke in this game is to not only handle the pressure, but they have to apply it defensively and mix it up at times that what you saw late in the, in the second half, probably around the, I'd say the, the 10 minute mark ish in both the Texas tech and Arkansas games was Duke switched up into some sort of zone. Uh, it was a, a matchup at times, more or less, it was a two, three for the most part. Uh, but whenever, when they went into the zone, both of those games, especially the Arkansas game, Duke went on a big run and blew the game open and ended up pulling away from both the Red Raiders and the Hawks. So if Duke is able to, to kind of mix in a zone and utilize it in the right spots, the right moments to kind of confuse and befuddle North Carolina, then I think they are going to be in a good spot to win this one, assuming they have a good, their usual good shooting performances across the board from their mainstay rotation players. So I know we know who I'm going to pick to win this game, despite whatever I may think I'm obviously taking Duke. No way in hell I'm picking North Carolina as the only unbiased person in this room, Jonathan, in this chat, who are you going with in this game? Well, Ryan, thank you for pointing out my unbiased. I, I, I would make an argument that even in the, even in the larger chat, I, I feel as though of people that kind of like college basketball, I'm the only true unbiased fan here because <laughs> I never jump on the hate of Duke bandwagon. I don't know if you've ever noticed that you'll oh, never I... see me saying anything negative about Duke. I, One of I the don't... few. One of the I few. don't really know why these other people hate Duke so much. Uh, I, because I like them. And because I, I like them, everyone else must hate them. I guess. Um, so I got to look with my eyes here. I have no dog in this fight. Mm-hmm. This is all picked with the brain. Nothing with the heart. And when I look at it with the brain, and I look at how these teams are playing, Duke is favored, but I think the Tar Heels are going to come out on top. Uh, I just think fuck. as a team, they are playing really good <laughs> basketball. I think they're playing the best basketball in the country. I mean, and I guess, like, obviously, one of the, these four teams is playing the best basketball in the country, but they are rolling. And I think it's going to be a similar type of game to when they played um, back at Cameron, like a month ago or whatever, mm. uh, earlier this month. I, I, I think it's going to be close, but I think that the experience for UNC and the moment for, for the Duke players, I mean, we mentioned the, the young guys, and then you made a good point about Coach K. I mean, they're, they're, there's so much more pressure on them, in my opinion, than UNC. Like, I know that UNC is, obviously, this game is, has a lot of pressure for everyone because the Final Four and stuff like that. But, man, Duke... There's, there's, I borderline too much, too much riding on the shoulders for the Duke players just because of the coach K thing and, and all that stuff. Um, 
that I think, you know, they get down, you know, I can see a scenario where they get down, you know, eight or nine quickly, you know, maybe like at the under 12 timeout or something like that. And then and they just, just break some, they panic and they start hucking threes and breaking their sink and getting out of their offensive rhythm and, and slacking on the defensive end and pointing fingers and stuff like that. And as I mentioned before, the way UNC can go on these runs where they're shooting the ball, like, I mean, they're just, they're unstoppable at, at some points. Um, and if UNC goes on one of those runs, I just, I don't think Duke can overcome it. I mean, I've, I was impressed by what they did against Texas tech. They were dogs. I let it be known. They were dogs against Texas tech. I believe they were one point dogs. Um, but yeah, I just think, I think UNC is, is hot and they are, they're just a wee bit hotter than Duke. Yeah. I, it, it is tough to argue with that. They've definitely, I think they've, they're probably the best of the four, at least playing the best of the four going, coming into the final four Duke's probably a close second. Um, <coughs> so I think it's, it's definitely going to be close. I think for Duke, they're going to want to get up early and often and not let Carolina get going at any which point, because like you said, if, if Carolina gets going, they go on a, a, a big run, regardless of what the score is. Uh, I just think that the pressure could get to them. And I've had those concerns from the get go. And luckily they have not surfaced really uh, to this point, but this is, this is an unbelievably incredible stage to be on now. And I, I am certainly a bit trepid in uh, whether or not they're going to be able to handle it. I, I hope they can, but I, I am a, a wee bit skeptical of it because you look at it and Carolina's playing with house money. They're an eight seed. It's Hubert Davis's first season coaching. Uh, nobody like everyone underestimated the ACC. Nobody really believed in North Carolina till they won that game in Cameron indoor. Like they've been doubted a lot all season long. And now they're here playing the best basketball of arguably anyone. And their seed is twice that of almost twice that of everyone. The other three teams combined. So it's, I mean, they're just playing with house money and they get to play spoiler. That's, that's, that's best. They already showed that they could do it once by spoiling coach K's final game at Cameron indoor. I, it, it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever to see them do it again here in the final four. So I, I got a question for you. Of course. Duke loses to UNC uh-huh. or, or they make the championship game and, and lose. Anyway, coach K comes back for another year. No, 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 this, this is it. Uh, this, this is it. He, there's no way he hands the keys to John Shire and then says, ah, I got so close this time. Let me do it again because we've got the number two recruiting class coming in yet again. I, I, I just, I think he's done in his heart. He he's done all that he can do. And however, this season ends is however it ends and he will be at peace with it. And he is ready to hand the head coaching reins over uh, when all is said and done. Um, but yeah, if uh, regardless of whether they win it all or they lose one of this game to North Carolina or in the championship, I think he's done. And I, I don't think the outcome of the final four will change it. 
All right. So that leaves us with a slightly different national championship game. You will have Kansas and North Carolina. I will have Kansas and Duke. I will let you go first in your championship game scenario. Who takes home the crown? So I have UNC obviously beating uh, Duke in a great game. I think Kansas's game versus Villanova will not be as close. I think Kansas will will pull away. I don't think that game under ten you get in the second half. I really don't think you'll the outcome will will be undecided at all. I think that game will be over pretty early. Um, but I'm just I'm so high on the Tar Heels that I. I, I think this they're going to roll. I mean, I think this is just a classic team. This is much like the UConn team. Yep. Um, the seven seed UConn team in 2014 that went on this little run and they just, they just kept it going all the way to the title game and they won the title. Um, you know, a team that was very talented, underperformed a little bit during the year and got hot at the right time and, and won the championship. And I, I think that history could be repeating itself here with the, uh, with the Tar Heels, I think it's it's their time. They're playing with house money, as you said, and I just think they are they're playing great team basketball. Um, and I think that's the key. You know, there's not like these other teams. I feel like Kansas, I guess, is a little bit less, but like they have like one or two, like one player like really sticks out. Like for Villanova, in my opinion, it's like Gillespie. Mm-hmm. For Duke, it's obviously Banchero, and I know that they have other players that are like big. But UNC just like there's like as you mentioned love and manic and stuff, but the center too Baycott or whatever yep. his name is Armando Baycott. Like, there's no one on like UNC that's like head and shoulders like I feel like above like the other guys mm-hmm. like they just play great team basketball, and I I think that they'll be able to uh, pull it out just because Kansas, I don't know Kansas just they're winning games but. I don't know. There's just something off about them. Like when I watch them, like, I, I don't know what it is, but I just, I don't think they can beat Duke or UNC um, the way those teams are playing right now. I think the winner of Duke UNC wins the title. So that's why I got UNC. I, so I have Duke and Kansas in my national championship. And I actually concur with your last statement there. I think the Duke UNC winner will end up winning it all. So I do have Duke winning Coach K's sixth national title in his final season. He gets the swan song Hollywood ending. But I do think that there is the case for Kansas still that if they're in the national championship game, if they come out and they they play incredibly well against Villanova, there is the, the possibility of a sort of mental, emotional sort of fatigue coming off of the heels of that Duke North Carolina game that whoever survives that one could be just so emotionally just worn out by the pressure that came with that game, especially if it's Duke, especially if it's Duke, if, if this is Duke, Kansas, like I predict Duke coming will have so much pressure. Yes. They will have shown that they can overcome the immense pressure that came with that final four matchup in that rivalry game. But to then have one day to recharge and do it all again for a national title, 
I, I think that that could they could still be vulnerable even if they get past North Carolina, if Kansas is able to play to their cap- full capabilities. The problem is we haven't seen that really yet. And unless I see that against Villanova, I, I can't pick them to win it all. So I've got Duke winning it. If it were, if I had your national championship, I'd probably pick North Carolina too, for the record. Yeah. And I think one thing that we can all agree on is that of the four teams in the final four, Villanova is by far the worst. Yes. Yeah. They're <laughs> the weakest. And I mean, it doesn't mean that they're a bad team. Obviously they won the final four, but no. um, like the way they play versus like the other three, I just, I, I don't think they would, I'd feel very comfortable picking any of the other three teams over Villanova if they were matched up against them. Yeah. They're shorthanded. Uh, they are overcoming the odds, but you can only do that for so long. And now without Justin Moore, you saw guys going up to him, consoling him basically in tears, knowing that his season was all but done because they knew that that injury was not a a day to day or even week to week thing that he was, he was toast. Oh yeah. He may, he, he, he's going to get a red shirt for next year. Pray. So it, it Villanova definitely has the biggest uphill battle of any of the four teams. So Kansas should be in that final with either Duke or North Carolina. Um, I, I will certainly be interested to see what either Duke or North Carolina has left in the tank for that national championship game. I mean, there's no greater stage at, at the college level to get up for than that title game, but I mean, we've never seen Duke, North Carolina in the tournament, let alone the final four. So it, it, it's going to be a lot to, to, for the winner to have to kind of come off the high of beating their arch rival in the final four and getting that first ever tournament victory against them and then having to turn around and play one of the best teams in college basketball for a national championship. So it's going to be a fun weekend of college hoops. I think it'll be a fitting conclusion to a March madness. That was indeed madness and chaotic as usual. But uh, Jonathan, you got any final thoughts on March madness as a whole and the final four? Um, it's been good. You know, St. Peter's obviously is the big, uh, the big um, upset, Sorry. but it, mm-hmm. it is, it is funny that, um, you know, these teams that made the final four, if you didn't know their seating, there's no surprises, you know, in the, in the name recognition of the schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you, I think, as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the disrespect of the ACC, clear, obvious. Arguably, they might have, despite what the poll showed, was, it, was the ACC still the best basketball conference in the country this year? Yeah. You know, I think there's an argument to be made based on the, the results at the end. They definitely were in the postseason. You can definitely yeah. make the case for that. The only, the only league with multiple teams in the Elite Eight, the only, team, the only league with multiple teams in the Final Four, and, so, and one of the best records in the tournament as a league. So uh, the case can definitely be made. And but, my other thing would be, I don't think – this year, and I talked to Coach Nick about this as well. Mm-hmm. 
I think I'm done with Gonzaga. I don't think that I, I think they're, they're forever a fraud. They play that they play in a Mickey Mouse conference. They, they're always a one seed because they're like, whatever, 27 and two on the year or whatever, 28 and two, Mm -hmm. 27 and three, 26 and four. They always play St. Mary's in their conference title game every year. And I'm done. I, I, they, they're just prone. I know they made it to the national title game last year, mm-hmm. but man, they're just the classic one seed that gets either picked off by the eight, nine or the four five every single time, basically. Yeah. It's, it's getting redundant how even when they get to the final four or the national championship, they still find a way to fall short. And if, uh, if they don't get picked off sooner. So it's, it doesn't matter how much talent they seem to have. They've got two warden award finalists probably two guys that'll finish in the top five for that award for national player of the year. And they still couldn't make it work with all the talent they had. So if and Chet Holmgren is going to be a boss in the NBA. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a, a, a talk for another time. Uh, he, he makes me look uh, a bit a bit built, if if you know what I mean, yes. Jonathan. He, so uh, I don't know how he's ever going to guard in the NBA. I don't know, but uh, Kevin Durant sure built out his frame a little bit, and he's been just fine. I'm not saying Chet Holmgren comps out to Kevin Durant, but uh, at, at least there is some hope that a guy of his lankiness uh, can uh, put on a little bit of the lbs and. Uh, get be a very productive professional basketball player okay all right but i think that's going to do it for this edition of fixing to talk sports thank you jonathan for hopping on and we will see you all next time